0: Hey, real life good morning we celebrate Mother's Day I, I, I want to give you the answers they asked second grade children the following questions so think like a second grader eight year old why did God make mothers the number one answer mostly the clean house someone also put she's the only one who knows what the scotch tape is what kind of girl was your mom when she was a little girl I don't know I wasn't there, but my guess is she was bossy. What did your mom need to know about your dad before they got married? Does he make at least $800 a year? Did he say no to drugs and yes to chores? Why did your mom marry your dad? My dad makes the best spaghetti in the world. My mom eats a lot. She's proud of that. My grandma says my mom didn't have her thinking cap on. Thank you for that. Who's the boss in your house? I guess mom is because she has more to do than dad. All you ladies are saying amen now, aren't you? What's the difference between moms and dads? Moms work at work and work at home. Dads just work at work. What does your mom do in her spare time? Mom, don't, mom doesn't have spare time. To hear her tell it, she pays all the bills. What would it take to make your mom perfect? She's perfect on the inside. Outside, I think it would take some plastic surgery. Okay, so what is real womanhood? Well, Proverbs gives it to us. Proverbs 31, beginning with the 26th verse. She opens her mouth with wisdom. Whoa, think about that. Her tongue is the law of kindness. To be wise and kind at the same time. Not bad. She looks well to the ways of her household. Eats not the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Wouldn't you love that? Your children as adults will look back and say, I was blessed to have the mom that I had. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, beauty is vain, But a woman that feareth the Lord shall be praised. Great thought. Give her the fruit of her hands. Let her own works praise her at the gates. As a pastor, I always like preaching on special days. I've got a head start. You kind of know what's coming. Christmas, Father's Day, Easter, Mother's Day, you know the theme. For instance, you knew the theme today was going to be mothers. I've got a head start. I don't need a whole lot of introduction to bring you where I want to go. But there's one special day exception that I don't like preaching on. Mother's Day. It's difficult for me because I can't personally identify Because I know the Lord, I can identify the joy of Christmas. Because I know the Lord, I can identify personally in the joy of Easter. Because I'm a dad, I can celebrate Father's Day, which is always more fun than Mother's Day. But how do I personally identify with Mother's Day? What expertise do I have in being a mom? So you kind of see the puzzle. I've got an eyewitness in quality mothering my wife Tamara and partnering with me the way we raised our kids. And she continues to raise me. But I also understand from the perspective of a child what my mom did in raising me. I think I understand a lot of motherhood as a child because of how my mom raised me. And being transparent, talking about my mom raising me, it's difficult for a couple of reasons. Number one, my mother was the key figure in my life. And she's dead. She died young. I was in my 30s when my mom died, so we're going back decades. So first of all, I've got to handle my own emotions. Second fear, I don't want this to be just, just sentimental ramblings. There's got to be useful information here. So time wasted with sentiment is kind of time wasted. The goal here is not to make you feel good. Our goal ought to be higher than that. So I pray that I kind of avoid both those hazards. But I think about the issue of being a mom... I think I've narrowed it down to three simple statements that any mom can do. Number one, be lovingly stronger than your children. Number two, teach spiritual values to your children. Number three, have generational influence over your children. I want to break these down, but first it's hard. Be stronger than your children. That's easy to say. Hard to do. Understand this. Your kids need a parent, not one more friend. And This is hard. Now, going back to my own life, I'm kind of an only child. Yes, I have a sister, Carol. But there's a large gap between us, more more than seven years. Yes, I was a surprise. And with this gap, Carol left to be a freshman at Olivet Nazarene University when I was going into into fifth grade. I was like like eight years old. So for my adolescent years, my preteen, all those years, Just Carol and I, and Carol was in college and then married. I was basically raised like an only child. On top of that, my father was a gifted musician. He played trumpet in the Navy band. I mean, his his resume is incredible. Back then, United States Steel, he he worked at sheet and tin at at, the steel mills had a promotional orchestra that would kind of go on tours representing U.S. Steel. My dad was a trumpeter in that. And so for those tours, he was gone, and that meant a lot of evenings rehearsals, he was gone. So Carol's and all of that, and my dad's playing the trumpet. Therefore, most of the time, the home was me and my mom. And kind of a problem, we're really alike, that DNA People say, I tend to resemble my father in my looks, but my personality is clearly my mom. So there we are, two strong personalities in the house. And my mother was determined to be lovingly stronger than me, and that's not easy. In all fairness and candor, consider the boy she had. I'm strong-willed. If I know what I'm after, I'm hard to determine. On top of that, I'm hyperactive, medically hyperactive. And this is before redolent and chemicals to kind of help. There's never a time when something on me isn't moving. Tam and I had to adjust to this. We were first married uh, because I don't stop moving even in my sleep. I toss and turn. I'm always moving. We stayed at a friend's house who their guest room had had a waterbed. And I'm going back like 40 years. This is before wave technology. In the middle of the night, I turned so hard, I literally sent Tammy airborne out of the bed. I never stopped moving. I worry about this, and, and when people come for counseling, I, I explain to them, don't read my body language because my body language is terrible. They may be talking about some tragic event in their life that they want counseling, and I'm moving my, my, my ring or I'm tapping my finger or, or, or clicking my heels. That's terrible body language. It tends to give the inference that I'm impatient. So I kind of warn people, I can't help it. I'm hyperactive. Back when we were pastoring in Virginia Beach, I had this incredible virus and Dr. Holt, our doctor there, gave, us, gave me a very powerful pill, medication that cleared it up. It was so strong it mellowed me out. Literally, I remember the conversation. We were, Tammy and I were sitting on the couch, and she was looking at me, just, just kept looking at me. And it was weird. I said, what's wrong? And she said, this, this is weird. Nothing's moving. So, I'm hyper. By the way, I'm so hyperactive, I've got to constantly change my watch. My body causes this expensive Timex to move fast. Everything about me is go, 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 go. So imagine me at four. My mother was determined to be stronger than me, and that's discouraging. Literally, at Glen Park Church in the Nazarene, Sunday school teachers saw me coming and took a year or two off. The Lord had told them. I was even a challenge at school because I'm not brilliant, but I was bright enough that I was bored. And when I'm bored, I'm off and running. Mom was a big reader. Always books about reading, reading, raising your kids. It was Christmas. One of these family stories. I believe I was about five. And someone had given my mom, raising your six-year-old boy. And she kind of disappeared from the festivities. And the family realized my mother, Marjorie, was was just by herself. And, And they said, Marjorie? You're not part of the party. And my mom said to nobody in particular, it's going to be a hard year. (laughs) She had me. She had to be stronger than me. Because I crossed the line. I got spanked. Every time. I was so strong-willed. That usually meant kind of daily. I knew the rules. I broke the rules. I got spanked. Somewhere along the line, someone had given my mom this book on positive reinforcement. She's, she's going to try anything. So as a preschooler, she's reading about positive reinforcement. And, and, and if I understand the family story, I think I went three days without a spanking, which, which was incredible. So she organized a backyard party. Neighborhood kids got to come. We had cake. We had balloons. She'd got bozo if he was available. We were going to celebrate. Gene has been a good boy for three days. As I understand the family story, at some point in that party, I was taken aside and spanked. So... So much for positive reinforcement. Back then, kids went to church camp Monday to Friday. I came home Friday afternoon, and the suitcase was perfectly packed. Then she realized I had gone to camp on Monday, thrown the suitcase under my bed, ran like a wild man, and brought the suitcase back, never once opening it. So much for hygiene. So my mother's got a strong-willed child that she was determined to be stronger than. Thank God. You do a terrible disservice to your children if you're not stronger than them. If they can wear down your resolve, it's a mistake. Let's just take a minute. I want to pull out and just define some things. Let's define spanking. You've heard it said there's a thin line between spanking and abuse. That's a lie. There's a huge line between spanking and abuse. I've seen parents that have terrible examples of child discipline. When God created us, he designed this wonderful architectural wonder that not only is a protection for the spine, but is the only appropriate place for spanking. Spanking a child in the face is a discipline. That's abuse. Spanking a child in the chest, that's not discipline. That's abuse. Spanking a child in the ribs is not discipline, that's abuse. Spanking a child in the stomach, that's not discipline, that's abuse. During those preschool years, I got spanked. I broke the rules, I paid the price. Until I realized it was better not to break the rules. But in all those episodes, I was never once abused. It was never inappropriate. A child doesn't need to be beaten to know he's wrong. And I came to the conclusion. Kids who don't learn this authority, have a problem as adults. And even worse, they struggle in their Christian life. Because our Christian life is all about the authority of Christ as we live to give Him glory. Young children learn about authority. If that parent dodges the ball of teaching them authority, it won't be long until they're adults and they still don't get authority. I remember specific lessons when it clicked. For instance, I remember the day honesty hit. I was a typical kid. I lied to my parents. Any problem I could make better, and I ended up innocent because I lied. Admit this all kids lie to make themselves innocent, including your little angel. When I was in trouble, I changed the truth to suit me. The problem, she always knew. I, I ended up being punished for what I did, and then I got punished for lying. I remember the day I learned honesty. One particular event. I was in the backyard practicing baseball. And you've got to understand, I'm a baseball fanatic, not general. I'm a Cub fanatic. I know there's another team in Chicago. I pray for them. I'm sorry. It seems to me, if you've got a White Sox sticker on your car or those license plates that say White Sox, you should be allowed to park in handicap parking. That's how I feel about it. Making friends. But I am such a Cub fan, I have not gotten over the 1969 Cubs. Tell me, in fairness, tell me, are the nine starters, how can four of them end up in the Hall of Fame and not win the World Series? Jenkins, Williams, Santo, Banks, four in the, world, in the Hall of Fame. And by the way, the, the play, home plate against the Mets, Tommy Agee was out. But I'll let it go. I was a Cub fanatic, and I was Ernie Banks. I wasn't pretending to be Ernie Banks. I was Ernie Banks. If you go back in time, he had a particular stance. The elbow was up and he held the bat and he would twitch his fingers when the pitcher would pitch. Gene Tanner in Little League tapped the bat. I was Ernie Banks. And I had a way of practicing because our home had, had a nice-sized nice backyard and a standalone garage. It wasn't hooked up to the house. It was by itself. And, Eddie, and, and I, I, I had these practice tennis balls Or or excuse me, practice golf balls, little little plastic balls. I could throw it in the air, and it would hit the sidewalk and bounce up. I never knew how high it would bounce up, so I had to be ready. But throwing it in the air gave me time to become Ernie. The ball would bounce, and I would practice my swing. And every once in a while, I could hit it over the garage into the alley. I didn't go get the ball right away because I had mastered the ability, the home run trot. I could do the home run Ernie run trot, and I was Jack Brickhouse. Hey, hey, Ernie! The garage had a very small window. Don't go ahead of me. The odds of me hitting that window is so small. Yeah, one day, Ernie Banks, and it wasn't crash, it was amazing. It was the perfect hole, the size of the practice tennis ball, went through the window, didn't smash everything, and I froze. I'm in trouble. I just broke the window. And I kept waiting for mom to come running. And then I heard it. She was vacuuming. She never heard. So now, okay, got to have a story. A bird came out of nowhere. So she said, well, let's go get the bird. And then the bird flew back out the same window. It's a miracle. She's never going to buy that. I remember distinctly as this little kid sitting there thinking, what's my story? And it dawned on me, nothing Nothing's going to work. And I went in and she's vacuuming and I stopped in front of her and said, I'm sorry. Usually when a child says I'm sorry, everything stops. I said, I was, I was hitting the ball and it went through the window. And so she said, okay, you, you didn't catch yourself. No, I didn't get the ball. We came out, got the ball. She gave me the ball. made sure there's no glass on it. The little practice tennis ball or practice golf ball. And she said, go ahead and keep practicing. Dad will fix the window. I froze. Have you forgotten something? And she could tell that I was was stunned. I I broke the window. And so she stopped. I said, Mom, I'm sorry. And she kind of got down in my face and said, Gene, was it an accident? I said, yes. Gene, did you tell me the truth? Yes. Go back and play. Dad will fix it. I was praised for my honesty. It dawned on me. Honesty works. Who knew? From that day on, it's been in my head Always tell the truth. I've got a lot of faults, but honesty really isn't one of them. You may not like the truth, but you're going to get the truth. I learned as a kid in my backyard, you're miles ahead if you just tell the truth. Because honesty is not standard equipment. Your kid has got to be taught truth. And you've got to know them well enough to know when they're not telling you the truth. If you don't know when they're not telling you the truth, you've got to know them better. My mom knew me so well that when I wasn't telling the truth, she knew it. If you're not teaching basic honesty, you're thinking it's going to come naturally, you've made a mistake. So here we are, a hyperactive, strong-willed child and a strong-willed mom. But as we grew older, we became incredibly close. One of my great joys, we had a hamburger joint just by our house called Minor Dunn. Minor Dunn hamburgers, if you're raised on them, it's a commercial. Most of them are closed. There's still one on Indianapolis Boulevard, damn it. Help yourself. With Dad playing somewhere, Carol, of course, in college, mom and I over and over would just go to Minor Dunn for hamburger and fry and just talk. Me and her, we became incredibly close. Not that many years ago, I was at, at, at a McDonald's. As you know, I'm, I'm a health food nut. I was at a McDonald's, and, and there was a little conflict between a mom and, and a young boy, and the boy turned to his mom and said, shut up. And I started laughing to myself because I, I try to think, what would happen to me if I ever told my mother, shut up? The problem is not that disrespect, disrespectful child. It's the adult. I don't want to see that kid at 18. Most important... Be stronger than your children. Number two, be spiritual with your children. Ritualistically pray with them when they go to bed. I can't remember a night when I didn't go to bed that mom wasn't praying with me and my dad, when he was home, was praying with me. Tradition, incorporate the word into their lives. My mother has a specific passage that she's written to every single one of us. My dad has a passage that's in her Bible that, that's dedicated to him. I have a passage dedicated to me, uh, 2 Timothy 2, 1-4. My sister Carol, when I married Tammy, she got her passage from my mom. Carol married Al, he got his passage, all the, all the grandchildren. So when I got married, I dedicated to Tammy from me. I dedicated to our kids, their spouses, tradition. It was kind of cool when Julie married Nate at our church. Part of the wedding ceremony was me giving Nate the verse during the ceremony. It's a tradition. The word is part of our lives. Every birthday card has in it somewhere their verse that's dedicated from me. When she died, my uncle read all the family verses from her Bible. It was willed to me. I always preach on Mother's Day. It's on my desk. It's old, well marked, filled with notes, model spiritual life. That's parenting. Be lovingly stronger, be in a position to teach spiritual values, and three, have generational influence. I think if the first two happen, the third will happen automatically. For instance, we prayed every night. Well, now that I had my kids, they're praying every night, and it's such a joy. When Tammy and I go down to Carmel, Julie and Nate with their their two boys to see them gather around and we come around them and they pray to tuck them in. The tradition just continues. The Bible says, raise a child in the way he should go and when he's old he'll he'll not deviate from it. So much common sense in Scripture. Decades ago. Julie was four and we had a tradition that after we tucked her in and prayed with her She would give me a kiss for how many years on my cheek. When she was three, I got three kisses. When she was four, I'd get four kisses. I was was going on some some denominational junk for a couple days. I called home and I said, how's it going? And Tammy said, oh, Julie is so upset. You're not here to pray with her? And and she said, last night, she said, Jesus, my daddy's not here. Would you give him four kisses for me? Now I'm crying in Kansas City, my daughter. So I came home, tucking her in, I said, Julie, last night, I couldn't believe it. I was almost asleep, and I felt four kisses on my cheek. She lit up. Don't miss the spiritual opportunity of the joy and innocence of your children. I was a pastor at Virginia Beach in my 30s, and Mom got worried that Mom had liver cancer. She was going to meet an oncologist, and I felt like I needed to be there. And so I told my church board that I needed to run home. Let, let me change microphones here. I, I, I needed to run home. And it's like an 18-hour drive back, back to uh, uh, Crown Point. We're where local where my mom was living. And we were loading up the van to make this long drive because my mom was going to see the oncologist because we knew she had cancer. And out of the blue, this car pulls up, and it's J.D. barefoot. Now, I need to take a second here. Every church has a J.D. Barefoot. I haven't been interim here long enough to realize, but I'm sure there's a J.D. Barefoot or two in this church. A J.D. Barefoot has been part of that church for a long, long time, loved on people in such a way that they have incredible influence. They're pillars. And a pillar can kill a pastor or be the greatest asset he's ever had. J.D. Barefoot was one of my favorite all-time laymen. After 40 years of pastoring, J.D.'s one of my all-time favorite. Because of his influence, he was the pillar. He had influence I didn't have, and he used it to my benefit. He was a gigantic asset. On top of that, he promoted me in my educational sphere. He called me Doc. Up pulls J.D. and Thelma. He runs out of the car. Hey, Doc! We want you to get home right away. The board passed. Here's four airline tickets. So rather than drive home the next morning, we're unloading the van and repacking, which are suitcases, and we flew home. And the news was bad. The doctor was clear, compassionate, but clear. It was terminal. And the liver cancer had advanced. And, I, you know, I don't know anything. I said, well, doctor, I, you know, I don't know anything about cancer, but I've heard things like remission. Is there a long remission possible? And he was, again, very clear. He said, you probably had your remission, and you didn't know it. But it is bad. And her time is slim. Oddly enough, the strongest person in the room seemed to be my mom. We drove back to the airport and flew home. I'm going back 30 years, so my time frame, I feel like it was in a month. My sister called me and said, Mom's back in the hospital. She has pneumonia. I think it's pretty bad. So I told the board, I said, we're going to drive back tomorrow morning. Uh, I, I promise not, not to do this over and over and over and over, but I think I need to be there. Our church board was so gracious. They said, get home to your mama. So that night, we're packing the van. J.D. Barefoot's car, J.D. and Thelma come running out. Hey, Doc, we passed it. Here's four airline tickets. Get home. And my first thought was, couldn't you ever tell me before I loaded the van? But I, I said, J.D., I can't accept these. I, I, I know... We're not poor. We're a strong church, but we're not rich. You don't have the money to constantly throw out four four round trip tickets to Chicago from from Norfolk. So I got to say no. And J.D., being J.D., said, Doc, I got a plan. Don't worry about it. Go home to your mommy. So we went home. Now, we weren't there, obviously, the next Sunday. But the story was told to me that J.D. got up and said, now, folks, we got a nice young pastor. He's been good to us. It's your turn to be good to him. We've already taken the offering. This isn't the offering. But we just sent him home on airline tickets. We're going to pass the plates that I want to see 20s. I don't want change. I want to see checks. I want to see some big checks. We're going to pay for these airline tickets for our pastor. Now, could I do that? Never. Could JD? Of course. Pastors need that pillar. The reason I'm I'm giving you a little bit of the, the JD story because you're going, to, I'm interim, you're going to have a pastor very soon. I hope those of you that are pillars in this church with incredible influence will use it in such a way that when your pastor down the road retires, they'll look back and call you by name and say, that was one of the best laymen I ever had in my life. That church was stronger because they were there and my ministry was more effective there because of their support and strength that they shrouded me with. Because there are some JDs in this church. It's going to be in a position to uniquely help the pastor coming in the way J.D. uniquely helped me in Virginia Beach. I really wanted to get back because I wanted one last time with my mom. But by the time we got back, it was clear I wasn't going to have it. When I walked in the room, I was shocked how she had changed in a month. She was skin and bones. And if you've ever seen anybody die of liver cancer... Their skin goes a shade of yellow. Their eyes are a yellow. It's hard to see. And so when I first went in, I I could have made a a, a face of shock. She wouldn't have known. She was basically in a coma. Crown Point St. Anthony's Hospital. I have to tell you, down the road when I took the church at Valparaiso, my first couple of calls in Crown Point St. Anthony were a little weird for me because my mind went back. Those couple of days that my mom laid there in a coma, I, I was on duty. I didn't leave. There were some days that Tammy and the kids went to Tammy's mom's house. Tammy's folks just lived over the border in Palos Heights, Illinois. And and so the kids would stay there, and sometimes the kids would come for supper. But I never left. I had one day. It was a weird day, because there was always family there. You, You know what these death watches are like. They're hard. My dad had a friend in the mills named Al Leahy, who was a great friend. Al Leahy's wife, Sheila. For some reason, I remember all these names. Sheila was in the hospital for something minor, and Dad bumped into Al. These two old great friends that have been friends for decades. And Al said, how about if I take you to lunch? And Dad and him spent, I said, Dad, go. You need to get away. So they spent kind of a day together. And it was one of those weird situations I told Tammy, why don't you take the kids and you take a day off and let them go play at your mom's? they got to go play. So they were gone. My sister, Carol, and my brother-in-law, Al, are both educators, and something was going on in the school system. They needed to be there, so they were gone. Because of all these weird circumstances, I was the only person in the room still on duty. And out of the blue, my mother turned her head and said, Hi. I went, Hi. And I yelled at her. For all those years of discipline? That's what psychologists say. No, no. I thanked her. Thanked her for her faithfulness. Thanked her for her strength. You'd have thought she was in there for a broken ankle. She was 100% coherent. We laughed for hours. We reminisced. Her favorite story was me going to camp and coming back with a suitcase that she opened up and realized I'd never opened it. We laughed about that episode. We laughed about me growing up. We laughed. And we're, we're water people, we, we, we always go to hotels with a pool. I'm part of the why just because of the pool. We love the beach. We're water people. My mother said, she knew she was going to die. She said, now in heaven, you'll find me by the water. Find me. I said, I'll find you. We spent that day, hours of it, laughing, talking, sharing. I think if God came to me and said, I tell you what, you've been a good servant. I'm going to give you three or four days. I'll let you relive them. Exactly. You can't change anything, but you do that day again. I do birth of my kids. I choose my wedding day with Tammy. It was a perfect day. When Julie and Nate got married at at Valpo, that was such a neat day. But on that list would be the day that I got to talk to my mom one last time for a couple hours. It was a gift of God. We just sat and talked and laughed, and within 24 hours, she was gone. There was a lot of people in that room when she died, but there was only one person holding her hand. That would be me. Generational influence. Years ago, we got my mother, a grandmother remembers that she wrote notes to my son, Jonathan. I got my hands on it. There's a page where she says, write anything you want to your grandson. So my mom wrote this. I'm writing this on November 6th, 1987. We just had a family reunion in August of this year. Everyone had a wonderful time. It made me think of our reunion in heaven. I want my family there. We don't know who will go first. Little did we know it would be her. Or second. Or last. But we can know that when that time does come, we'll be ready. I was so happy to hear that in September, you asked Jesus to come into your heart. Always remember, Jonathan... I will meet you in heaven. Generational influence. Generational influence. So you're saying, ah, if I could be just like Marjorie Tanner, everything would be perfect. No, no, no. We already had a Marjorie Tanner. We don't need another one. I think you ought to be you with your unique gifts, your unique talents, but those three goals you can do. Lovingly stronger than your children, spiritual values, generational influence. You could do this. This could be your gift to your family. And men out there, you're partnering in this. Stronger than your children, spiritual values, generational influence. And the single moms, I say sometimes you got to feel like you are outnumbered. Even if you only have one child and it's one-to-one, you're still outnumbered. I pray for your strength because you're doing this by yourself. Stronger spiritual values and influence. Father, we come before you and we pray for our moms. I'm not sure there's a more loving word that we have than mama. There's something powerful when a child maybe for the first time, says mom and mama. You've built women with a tenderness that we men can't grasp. We will never totally understand a mama's heart. For they they carry these babies. They've nurtured them. And now we have to raise them. I pray for strength. I pray for wisdom for our moms on a day that we honor them In your holy name. Well, it's time for the commercial. Who doesn't love a commercial? Next week, we're going to get right back in the series, the battle. It's a six-week series. This is number three. It's like we're peeling back an onion. The problem is every time we peel, it goes a little bit deeper. We're going to go even deeper next week. Could it be that your creation is because of the battle in eternity past? You were created because of what happened in eternity past. Can you back that up? See you next week. God bless you.